1: Rockheads, invite the Klingons over for dinner some other time and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 372, recorded live from DevLink 2008 in Nashville, Tennessee. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerin, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Datadynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who'd rather be disemboweled by Kalis than eat gach, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much.
2: This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell back for your listening pleasure for another hour or so. Hey, Richard Campbell, what's up?
3: I'm uh, I'm actually barbecued out, and I did not
2: expect that that was possible. That's right, Richard and I spent last weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, at DevLink, and uh, which we'll hear uh, from shortly. But uh, yes, we had barbecue every
3: day, and it was off the hook. It was really good, Jack's Barbecue, Jack's Place, amazing ribs, and and the best there. The best thing there was the ribs, no two ways about. Which is amazing because I am a total rib snob, but I'm telling you, they were. That's as good as it gets, man. They were heaven on a bone. They are amazing.
2: You know what was weird, speaking of cows, is that uh, I, I read in New Scientist today, which I don't know if you read NewScientist.com. I have an account there. It's great. That uh, all apparently grazing cows face the poles, north or south. And this is a phenomenon that has been discovered recently, but we've known that cattle that herd and graze tend to clump together and all point the same direction, but apparently nobody noticed that they were pointing towards the poles. But it, some researchers looked at satellite photos of herds all over the world. When they put them all together, it was like, holy crap, they're all pointing north.
3: No way. That's, That's crazy. True. It is crazy. That's totally crazy.
2: After 10,000 years of agriculture, nobody noticed, "Hey, they're pointing north." Yeah. Or, or south, south, depending on which hemisphere you live in. I really is totally hemispherical. Absolutely. That's nuts. I'm going to have to look that up. That's just absolutely crazy. And then the title of the article is and on <laughs> and on that farm the cows face north. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right, man. What do you got? So today's class, it is a class, is in System Windows Media, which, as you know, is WPF. System Windows Media Video Drawing. And this is what you use to play a media file. Ah. So if, the, if it's a video, the video drawing draws it to the specified rectangle. That's it. That's it. Well, you know, because WPF is all about scaling and, and media and being right. able to put videos on thumbnails and all of this stuff. So yeah. I wanted to find out, how do I do that? It turns out to be really, really simple. It's in presentation core DLL. Wow. System.windows.media.videodrawing. And it's very simple. It's just, you know, you pull it, you specify the rectangle, you load up your files, you tell it to begin, and then you have control over it and... There you go, cool. Yeah. So, all you WPFers, get going. Easy,
3: easy, easy. It's easier than you think. Actually, that's you know what it's one of the things about WPF because I got to imagine. Maybe we should look this up. How much harder is it to do it in a regular wind form?
2: Yeah, it's never it's never been hard. It's just like what do you get, right? What kind of features do you get? And you clearly get all sorts of compositing features with WPF
3: you never could do before, right? Yeah. Well, you could take that surface and twist it around and all kinds of crazy things. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. You got an email for us? I do. I got a, a quick one for you. Hi, Carl and Richard. I've been meaning to send this since 353 first came out. And that was, you know, 20 shows ago. So, mm. boy, slacker. <laughs> and the show he's referring to is the Smart Client Panel at TechEd2008. All right. Tim Huckabee, I think... Says to the other panel members that we don't know what the user experience will be like in a few years' time, and I'm paraphrasing here, and that this is not picked up by the other panelists. Could you expand on this? Is it the end of the WinForm style application that we've had since Windows 95? And how will we keep the same speed with flashy user interfaces utilizing WPF and Silverlight and so forth fully? How are Microsoft going to change Office from the standard document-based interface we see now? And how will Dynamics change? How did we move from the DOS green screen to Windows, and will it take as long again? I'm not even going to answer that
2: question.
3: <laughs> like, no, no, it's, it's a fair question.
2: First of all, nothing's going away, right?
3: I, I guess that's fair to say. Yeah. But but you Office know- is
2: not going to be rewritten
3: in WPF. No. Well, not this week, but I hear rumors that they're actually serious. You know, the, the interesting thing about about Office, the way it is today, is that it's stuck. It can't go to sixty four bit. There's all kinds of things it can't do. Because mostly and, it's stuck because of COM though. Right, but I and I, this is the thing is, there's there's just there's no upgrade path for it. They have to rewrite it. Well, I don't know if they're going to, you know,
2: you can use WPF on the front end with com objects on the back end. You yeah, but I don't, don't think WPF
3: do is the issue for Office. It's certainly something they should get to eventually. I think you're I, right. I think, I think it's 64-bit
2: is the issue for Office. But, you know, they have so many objects, though, that are com objects that people are relying on now yeah. that they can't just not implement those
3: interfaces. Do you know on what the I'm other saying? Hand, you try to do DDE with Office 2007? Well, let's not even go there. I'm, this is a tough debate, so uh, that's a show, all right. Uh, by the way, this the the email Rob Blackmore. Thank you, Rob. Now you know I, you start seeing shows come out of this. This whole yeah. debate about Office is a huge one, and I think there obviously is going to be new versions of Office. They just make too much money not to. They've got to find a way out of the the corner they're in, and it does mean giving up on Com. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't see how they're going
2: to do that i don't see how they're going to just simply rewrite without com because so many people again are relying on those com objects for their
3: applications they're gonna have to build some kind of com interop going backward to the old to the new version well either
2: that or just uh fork the product right
3: right but a whole other show is this new user experience concept. You know, the topic you haven't brought up here, which you made me think of it with Tim Huckabee, is Surface in the multi-touch interface, mm. which I think is a is a huge deal to the changing the way things work. Right. And uh, we've, we're going to get some shows on that because I think multi-touch is huge. I do too. And, you know, we're still beating the drum
2: for uh, Infusion if you uh, want to work in Dubai or in New York City. Have some interesting experiences, and um, for sure in New York, I believe they'll for the right people, they'll fly you out there, they'll pay your way, and they'll put you up in an apartment for a year in Manhattan while you're working uh, on great .NET projects. If you're interested in the New York tour, go to shrinkster.com slash kh6 to learn about that. If you're interested in Dubai or working with Surface uh, in New York, email me at carl at franklins.net. So this show, Richard, we recorded late one night in a bar in Nashville. (laughs) Always a bad sign right there. I don't think so. Some of our some of our most endearing Dotnet Rock's episodes have been in a bar. I'm with you. And I remember it
3: it was the dev link was over. We're in the bar. We've all had a few drinks. And you just sort of looked at me and said, We should get the microphone. Well, sure. And I, I was skeptical. I looked at you like, No. And you're like, I'm getting the microphone. And off you went. And uh, and you'll hear it in the show because Carl totally starts the show off and then hand it, hands it over to me for a little while. And I talked to a few folks. Well, I got to admit, I got right into it because there was some really. Really bright people sitting with us. Well, and and really, it really was thing. mostly the organizers and many of the speakers of DevLink and a very passionate group of folks. Exactly. So they really were into making
2: great shows. Exactly. Well, let's roll it now and we'll, we'll, you'll hear what we're talking about. I told you I'd come back. You did bring it. Came back with a microphone. Well, how does that oh, the
1: the microphone lead to? That Where's
4: the microphone? It's
2: got a flash that recorder built into the microphone. Man. Oh,
5: that can't
1: be good.
2: Oh, yeah. Nice.
1: About 1200
0: on bucks. Tuesday. Right. Oh, They've been, uh, you, I to
2: pick one You're going to have one soon. I, I know, know you. I might have to <laughs>
0: one I know you, man. All right, here we go. Hey, Richard. Well, yes,
3: uh,
2: sir. These people don't know it, but they're about to be on .dotnet Rocks. So. Well,
3: heck, I didn't know that either. When? <laughs> right about now. All right.
2: So we are uh, sitting at, uh, what's the name of this place anyway? Uh, Fanatics.
3: Okay. We're in the bar at the Double Tree near where DevLink took place. Just outside of Nashville in Murfreesboro.
2: Murfreesboro? Is that what you said? Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. Notice how, how we... notice,
3: notice how every conversation
5: at the table just came to a screeching halt when you walked <laughs> in with a microphone.
2: So we have one microphone we're going to pass around. We're going to talk to some of the people here that were involved in the DevLink conference. And uh, starting with the man who just spoke, Joe Stagner, I guess because he's already been on... on he hasn't been on with me. Okay. Joe, how are you?
5: I'm great, thanks. And, and, uh, and, and sorry about that, but uh, I was on a show a while ago, and I've never been invited back. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? You and a lot of other people. <laughs> So, yes, here
0: here we are in Murfreesboro. All right, five bucks to somebody who can pronounce the name of this damn town. (laughs) This is Murfreesboro, Tennessee, home of MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, the site of the DevLink conference in 2008. And you are? I'm Alan Stevens. Alan, tell us about your involvement in this conference. Well, I'm on the board this year, but the role I took actively in the event was running open spaces. I facilitated the open spaces event here. So that's sort of like the open
2: spaces at Mix or the Cabanas, sort of an open area. Tell us how it went.
5: Only oh. only better.
0: I'll let you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it's a it's a uh, it's a, more unstructured than a eyes front presenter conference session. So we had more of a roundtable discussion, and the feedback I got was fantastic. So from what people around me say, it went very well. So guys, the open spaces went well. Yeah. I guess uh, guess you got your confirmation there. Yeah, I feel good about it. Thanks. I don't know. Alan Stevens just happened to find that right balance between leading open spaces and stepping back and letting them run. Uh, It was some of the best open spaces I've ever experienced.
2: And is your name Geek? You have the shirt that says Geek simply in angle brackets. What's your name? My name could be Geek, Bob, Frank, Joe, whatever you want. No, I'm Steve Andrews. So, what was your uh, involvement in the group? I was a speaker here
0: at DevLink. What did you speak on? MS Build and Team Build. Oh, hardcore. Yeah, I'm a Team System MVP, so it's kind of my bag. But yeah, flew down from Philadelphia to uh, just join this great crowd. You flew from Philly to come to uh,
2: to Nashville to talk. I did. A lot of people, I think came from all over the place. I heard some guys drove from Arkansas. Yeah, we had people from Michigan and Texas. Um, you're from Texas? Awesome. Yes, I'm from Texas. What's your name? My name's Mark Leon Watson. I'm the Code Camp Junkie. I go to all the Code Camps around. Awesome. So you were an attendee? Yes, I was an attendee. Yes, I was an attendee. You, did you drive? I flew into Nashville. No, I didn't drive. All right, so where in Texas? Fort Worth, Texas, home of the Fort Worth.net user group. We're... Uh, uh, Corey Smith and Steven Swinton are the, the ah. organizers there. So what attracted you to this, uh, to Devlin Like I say, I'm the code camp junkie. I like going to all these code camps. And the
6: reason is the people that come to these places are really passionate about the, what they do. They wouldn't come out on a Saturday if, if they weren't. Uh, you get a chance to meet with all kinds of people of your peers that, that have interest that, that you have. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing to go to as many code camps as you
2: can, and, I, and that's what I do. Excellent. So what, from a 1 to 10, what would you rate this uh, DevLink? 11. Uh-huh. Good answer. 11.
0: <laughs>
2: Good answer. Good answer. Uh, I'm going to get one more interview, and I'm going to pass the mic over to you so you can serve the rest of the table. Yes, sir. All right. So uh, this gentleman right here, uh, we were talking earlier, you are? I'm Jeff
6: Blankenberg. And Jeff, you are? I'm a developer evangelist for the Heartland District for Microsoft.
2: Excellent. So you're involved in the Code Mash, which is going to go on, uh, what, in January? It's
6: uh, January 7th through the 9th uh, up in Sandusky, Ohio at an indoor water park. we got to go
3: to that. Yeah, I think we do. I think we already signed up for it. Oh, good. Th- we got to go over the top on it, though. I think we'll do the whole .dotnet Rocks pitch at uh, at the
7: show. In the Lazy River. <laughs> in the Lazy River.
2: Okay. The lazy river is what the thing that goes all the way around the yeah, water
7: with, with the inner tubes and the yeah and the drinks. And, and who are you? I'm Brian Prince. I'm an architect evangelist with Microsoft.
2: Excellent. So there's a lot of Microsoft guys here.
7: Yeah, we're like flies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: Oh, there are drinks here, and
2: and and uh, you know the Microsofties did pick up their fair share of the tab. I gotta say,
3: yeah, well, they certainly filled their role as community leaders
6: by buying alcohol.
2: <laughs> so, uh, so as a de, what do you think uh, was going on down here? How did it go? For uh, you? I
6: I think this was an absolutely outstanding event. Uh, I mean, the sessions were great. The open spaces, like we talked about, have been just unbelievably great. Uh, so overall, I mean, this has been an incredibly successful event without question.
2: What was your favorite part
6: of it? Uh, we had, a, we had a, a one open space on, on community, and I, we really had a really in-depth conversation about how to grow community and how to really get more people involved. Uh, because this is just a small subset of the developer population around here, we'd really like to see more people get involved and come to conferences like this and participate. That was that was a great conversation,
2: Alan. How much was this DevLink event? Oh, you could get in here for fifty dollars. It's the best value you can get in a community conference. And and is CodeMash similar?
6: Is it Codemash similar? Is very similar. It ranges from seventy-five to one twenty-five, basically based based on when you register.
2: Okay, so why the difference in price? Is it like expenses versus like how many tracks you have? Do you have more tracks at Codemash than they did have here or speakers?
6: I believe there are more tracks at Codemash. It's five or six. Um, As far as expenses go, um, using a professional... convention facility has a higher price tag than a, than a college.
0: Oh, so they got you guys got to use the university so you can keep costs down. Exactly. That that's uh that's part of what we wanted to do. The first year this event was free. The only reason we actually charge money for this event is to keep drop-off down because that way we can budget better.
6: Although
5: there there's certainly a downside to the to the logistics of using the the university here. So so the first one is that every morning my GPS Took me to a, a monstrous roadblock, <laughs> um, and and, uh, and once I figure out the detour, it was a really interesting uh, interesting experience that. While I was traversing the detour, every morning, there was a Tennessee state trooper hiding behind a bush, jumping out with his portable radar gun.
3: (laughs) I thought he was complaining about the fact that it was also pledge week for all the sororities this week, and there were were college girls running around everywhere at the university.
5: Yeah, well, so that was the only thing that made up for the speeding tickets. (laughs) (laughs) That's worth 50 bucks, though. That's worth
6: 50 bucks. Do you
3: remember our good friend Tom Robbins once said these things should all be free? Something's gone terribly wrong with that. That's right. You guys, what's going on? What's wrong with the
2: Code Camp manifesto? Well, that uh... so so
5: Tom Robbins is a buddy of mine. He's from he's from Bedford, which is before he moved out to, out to Redmond. He's from Bedford, which is pretty close to where I live. And and so you know, now that now that he's in a position of authority at Microsoft, I think that, you know, if if he really wants to stand behind that statement that these should all be free, that money should flow out of his monstrous budget.
3: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Yeah, we we'll be passing that one along to Tom, I think. I'm sure we will.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it is a good point that you guys paid you guys paid for us to come here. I mean, you paid our T and E. You paid the T and E for the speakers. You have box lunches. Yeah. You have free soda. You have free coffee.
0: It's not cheap. Actually, we do have plenty of sponsorship to put this event on. But uh, if uh, if we have fifty percent of the people that sign up not show up, we're wasting money, and we can spend that money better to put on a better event if we know what the numbers are going to be coming in the door.
5: Well, but but for me, that's you know that was one of the things that illustrated the significance of this event. Even though. You know, it's sort of it's a regional event compared to you know a, a, a big event like TechEd or Mix. But you know, the, from the sponsorship, you know, you've got top tier sponsors like Telerik are, are here. You know, not only sponsoring but with a booth with active presenters. Yeah. You know, DevExpress is here. Yeah. I mean, the top sponsor was CompuServe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compu- Compuware. Compuware.
0: Yeah, actually, Compuware was the partner that helped us put on this event. They were our biggest contributor. Yeah. CompuServe. Boy, I remember CompuServe. Those were the days, man. You're not that old. Come on. That was was maybe a little Freudian there.
5: (laughs) Steve falls through the Wayback Machine. (laughs) Well,
2: I'm going to let Richard take the microphone and talk to the other half of the table. Thanks. Before I swing over to the other
3: half of the table, I really want to engage Alan a little bit on the Open Spaces thing because, uh, I mean, you were the facilitator, and I got to admit, it was a very successful Open Spaces. What did you do?
0: I, well, in preparation for this event I tried to talk to anybody I could that had run an open space event concurrently with a regular conference because open spaces have been around for a while but they're typically a standalone event, so everybody comes in with the expectation of this interactive conversation where when someone comes to an event like this, they expect to have professional presenters and just sit and take notes and that type of thing. So I uh I gathered as much information as I could and there's a there's a great book on running open spaces and I got all the guidance I could. And then I, I leveraged everybody I knew in the community. And I seated them, and I told them what I wanted and what expectation I had. And I got them to come out and, and help get the energy going at the beginning of the event. And that helped draw in more people. That's what the guy with the louder mic finished. Yeah.
3: Brandon, you,
2: your microphone hears you more than do.
3: Yeah. Uh, so for those who've never been in open spaces, what are the key elements? I mean, what, what is a really distinctive feature of an open space uh, conference, or at least the open space area that you did?
0: The most radical thing about open spaces is that it breaks the social contract, that you are expected in an open space, if you are not contributing to a conversation or you are not benefit from, from it, you have a rule in open spaces that you must get up and walk out and find something productive to do, uh, and, and and that is very difficult for people to accept, but... It means that you never sit around complaining that this speaker wasn't any good or this topic wasn't what I expected, and you have a personal responsibility. And when everybody is responsible for getting the most out of the conference, they really put more energy into making it a great conference for themselves and everyone else. So what about the topics? Where do they come from? Oh, the the first session of an Open Spaces event is a, round, uh, a opening circle in which we lay out, we set the tone of the event, we lay out the theme of the event, and then uh, the, as a facilitator, I step aside and the actual attendees propose topics and then they work out in a marketplace of ideas what combining topics and prioritizing them and then putting them on a schedule for the rest of the event. So we had two days and they laid out that schedule themselves. To, uh, opening circle, so do you guys have like a talk? Sick and then like a frame drum, or well, you know, that's great. Fire in the center. That that is actually a great point because what my uh, my uh, my underlying agenda in putting this on here was to say that open space isn't some weirdo hippie thing to do. It's actually a very productive format that's been been tried and tested in corporate America. So I wanted to bring it out to a, a more uh, typical event and draw in people that wouldn't be drawn to it by default. And it was very successful on that.
3: And you notice it's not a hippie thing to do said by the guy who calls himself the Jesus of .NET.
0: <laughs> just because I have long hair, use a Mac, and I'm a vegetarian doesn't make me a hippie. Because
2: <laughs> I like to fish and build boats. Yeah, right, uh,
0: right. Yeah. Just because I feed the masses. Is, yeah, right.
1: Thanks for the wine, by the way. Yeah, you're quite right. For the wine.
2: I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik, and uh, let you know that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik. You know summer is in full swing now, and you're probably lying on the beach, but our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand-new control suites, RAD controls for WPF and RAD controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next-generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base, And share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, They have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks.
3: So one of the challenges I saw in that was that there, you had the big board up there where people were putting post-it notes up, but there really didn't seem to be a rating system. I, I would concern me that the board filled up very quickly and that at some point during the course of the show, no more ideas went up because there was no room on the board. There's no way to take anything down again.
0: Okay, now that's part of the challenge of doing this alongside the standard event is because in a, a typical open spaces event, we'd meet at the morning of the second day and say, what do we want to change about this schedule? But we were very flexible about this. One example, is during the conversation we got off on a sidetrack tangent talking about um, internal sealed classes in an API and and whether they were evil or not and we decided we need to make this its own topic and somebody had a topic in the next session he said cancel mine I want to be in on that conversation. Well let's talk about that. Why would anybody seal a class? Uh, I don't know a good reason personally. Yeah no seriously I, I can't either. I can't think of a good reason why you would seal a class. If it's deep inside of your framework if you're building the the .NET Framework, so deep inside, I'm fine with that. But once it's up around the API, you surface it, don't, don't treat me like a child and tell me I don't know how to use it responsibly, is how I feel. But that's exactly the kind of conversation that was great to have, and it came up a spur of the moment. The other thing was, we were talking about STAR-DD, TDD, and BDD, Behavior-Driven Development, Test-Driven Development, and some people piped up and said, I really need a live demo of this. And as a facilitator, I said, let me see what I can do. And I got I booked us a room, with I got the audio-video guy in there, and I got my laptop set up, and I. I put a whiteboard up that said, hey, we're going to do a live TDD demo at lunch, and uh, and the room filled up at lunch. You know, we thought we were going to have five people in there, we had 65, and that was done within 15 minutes. Now, I know what test-driven development is. Is behavior-driven development sort of the everything that TDD is not? Well, that We had a session on that right after the, uh, this on uh, how should change my life was the title of this session. And it's all about how changing the verbiage from test to specification removes the idea that I'm writing tests to that I'm actually specifying my code in an executable format. And uh, I haven't had that moment of enlightenment, that eureka moment, but the people leading this session were very persuasive about the fact that changing the language changes your attitude. So, anything you do differently next year for the open spaces? I'll definitely do an opening session around breakfast of the second morning, and I will try to make the uh, the opening circle part of the keynote so that everybody gets gets the setting, the tone. There's a very there's an instructional format in which I lay out. Here's the rules of how this is going to play out. Here's the roles you can play within here, and what's acceptable and what's expected of you. And I really think if more people had had that ahead of time, it would have saved us a lot of talking when people came up to our our schedule board and said, what is this and why are you doing this?
3: Would some technology help here? Could we digitize this, this scheduling board in some way that would make it better?
0: Absolutely not. I think it's very important we keep this low fi because this is very much about people interacting with one another. Uh, one of the things that we did that I learned, I did a, a one-day open space alongside an event we did in Knoxville two weeks ago, and I learned that we didn't produce any content at the end. So what I required of people that convened a session was they have designated designate someone to take notes. They could take notes or someone else could. And then we tore all those big sheets of paper and hung them on the wall in the hallway. So as people walked by, they saw what the topics of the conversation conversation were, and they became more engaged through that. And I think that low fi tactile approach actually increases people's engagement.
3: I wonder if we couldn't be recording those open spaces sessions so that people had even more view into what happened there.
0: We, we videotaped the open and the closing. We videoed some of the sessions internally, but I absolutely believe that as, a, as it's easier to post video online, we're going to do more of that. Uh, in the closing circle today, the participants in open spaces wanted to continue the conversation. And I left it open to them how to do it. We're going to get a domain, set up a wiki, set up a Twitter account, and begin to continue this conversation and post the videos, et cetera. We're going to have transcribe the notes that we made and put them in the wiki and see where things go, see if we can carry this on at CodeMash and other events.
3: Cool. Thanks very much for that, Alan. It's an interesting insight into the intent of Open Spaces.
0: Thank you. It was really a pleasure to facilitate this.
6: Jeff? Yes, sir.
3: <laughs>
6: so where are you actually based out of as a DE? Uh, I'm, I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I've been there for about 10 years. So
3: I found it fascinating that, you know, when I do a code camp on the on either seaboard, the attendees are from the area, like maybe a radius of 50 miles. But here they had a bus started that started in Grand Rapids and came all the way down. There was folks in from, from Arkansas, from Texas. What is it about the interior of the United States that draws
6: people such a long way for an event? Um, I I think there's a lot of commonalities in the people in the Midwest and and they have a lot to to grow upon from each other. I actually got to ride on that bus. Uh, People boarded in Grand Rapids, Michigan and we came down through Detroit, Toledo, uh, Columbus, Cincinnati um, and we were picking people up all all along the way and everybody got on the bus, everybody already knew each other Uh, and I I attribute a lot of that to Twitter. Um, Everybody seems to know each other because they exchange Twitter tags when they come to one of these events and they continue that conversation once they Get home. Um, so they're building relationships the whole way along. It's it's amazing. What? How did you guys
2: advertise the bus other than Twitter? And do you think like uh, next time you guys do a dev link down here, will you need two buses? Are you going to organize like get get people on a you know put it on a website, or on a blog, or something that there will be a bus?
6: Um, it, it, it manifested itself in a couple of ways. Um, there was conversation, certainly. Twitter was a, one of the, way, the venues that it went out. There was also a Google group set up so that people could know about what was going on, what the details were going to be, where the stops would be, that kind of stuff. Um, so it was very online, a lot of conversation. But, t- but Twitter was a great piece of it. Um, but it, it, I, I don't want to—I don't want to make it sound like Microsoft really had much to do with it. I mean, we certainly helped the conversation. Um, but this was this bus idea was a, a community-driven, community-created idea. Um, and to, to answer your question about coming down to DevLink. Next year, um, there's a very good chance we may need two buses next year. It's what's great is they're already talking about a bus for CodeMash and how to get the people from Atlanta, Nashville, that kind of stuff, all the way up to, to Lake Erie. So I, I think it's amazing. And on top of that, you get to sit on this bus with the smartest people that, from anywhere around you. It's so you have amazing conversations for nine to sixteen hours.
2: It sounds like you know every major city that's within bus distance should get a little bus group going because you know when everybody pitches in for a charter, it doesn't cost all that that
6: much no, in fact, uh, to get on this bus we we got we did get some sponsorship microsoft contributed some money there were some consulting companies that threw some money in the in the pot um and it ended up costing each person about a hundred dollars round trip so i mean you can't beat that you can't fly it uh if you drive by yourself or
7: even carpool with a couple people and, and that's what drinks and entertainment provided on the bus i mean the whole way through we had snacks and beer and soda and, and office space and lord of the rings and everything uh, we got another micro voice <laughs> we got another microsoft voice that jumped in. Name and roll, please. Oh, yeah. So, Brian Prince, architect evangelist. I live a half a mile from Jeff in Columbus. Ah,
3: the little Ohio cluster here. There was an amazing number of folks from Ohio and from
6: Michigan all the way down here in, in Tennessee. It's crazy. We are really hitting a, a, for lack of a better word, a renaissance of community developers uh, in in the heartland. It's amazing. People are coming out of the woodwork. Every day I get asked, hey, you know, how can I be one of those speakers? How can I get out and do this stuff? And it's, it's really my job to make sure that people have the ability to get out and... and do these kinds of things so um, I will encourage anyone that wants, or even is considering speaking, do it. Take take that chance. Get up there and talk about something intelligently, and you'll succeed.
3: Now we're getting back to, to Tom Robbins' Code Camp Manifesto, which said, you know, by the people for the people kind of thing. That it, it was the community that should be the speakers. So I'm like the foreigner. I should not have been speaking this if I'm going to stick to the manifesto. I'm, I'm glad you guys invited me. I had a great time doing it. But I
6: I feel like an anomaly. And I'm, I'm I'm glad that it is mostly local speakers. It, it is local community. I mean, I would think that even. And even though Brian and I work for Microsoft, we were part of the local community prior to taking our positions. Uh, I mean, I had a couple sessions here, but I wanted to make sure I participated in open spaces. I'm just another community guy. I just happen to have a different perspective on it. I'm not writing software on projects every single day. Instead, I'm making sure that people have the tools and resources to succeed at their jobs. I think that
3: the the .NET Rocks folks have definitely heard about uh, developer evangelists before, but I don't know how many of them know that architect evangelists this is either. So, uh, Brian, what's your job like?
7: Well, we're a rarer breed, that's for sure. Uh, Where there's three DEs in our district, I'm the only architect evangelist. I do the same exact thing, but I focus on the architect community. And that's a very broadly defined... N- n- term it's whatever you think an architect is if you think you're an architect then i want to talk to you if you're an aspiring architect a technical decision maker in microsoft speak is tdm uh, those are the people we like to talk to and there are different topics and and concerns that they want to talk about and, uh, and my, my job is to be in the community help the community grow and and help them those architects come together and form a community do you find yourself mostly work with large organizations? No, actually, uh, Day, I spoke with customers, architects that were from large banks, all the way to a small ISV that makes little GPS-based electronics for motorcycles. You know, uh, it's everyone I think has an architect role, whether they have a person called that or not. Were you speaking at the show as well? Yeah, I did a topic called uh, soft skills. I I think too many user groups and, and. community events focus too much on the hard tactical skills like how do I do WF, what is is XAML and I wanted to say, you know, we need to talk about the skills that make us better professionals, better developers, better architects And you did that as a session? Yeah, as a session, and I talk about career management um, how to talk with humans, communication skills, uh, all those sort of skills, and it's always been very, very popular.
3: I, I remember at the conference, there was a real buzz around the soft skills discussion, and there was a bunch of open, uh, uh, open spaces that spun off, I think because of your session.
7: Yeah, and, that, and I think that's great. And more and more speakers are saying, yeah, I want to do a session on... You know, user experience principles, which is not a hard technical skill, and so at CodeMash, we're starting a soft skills track to, to pull those speakers together and get that information out there.
3: That's cool. It's, it's nice to see the, the the content of these shows shifting as we learn more about what people need to know.
7: Yeah, yeah. I think we need to expand and broaden what we're learning and talking about. I think that'll draw more audience in. Uh, so that's not just a nice forward brain dump on technology, which which you need and that's important. But I think we need to broaden that. And and kind of bring everyone forward and make them more successful in their careers.
3: So one track of six dedicated to something softer than straight-up hard technical skills?
7: Yeah, and I have a feeling a lot of the open spaces will be will be associated with that as well. Well,
3: to me, it's interesting that when we mix these two things together, open spaces ends up reflecting the areas uh, inside of the conference that weren't as well supported. So if I get a huge concentration of, of soft skills discussion in open spaces, really? it makes me think we need another track.
7: Yeah, exactly that. And the great thing about Open spaces is it's successful if six people show up. But if you have a session, you want 30 to 50 people in a session to make it worthwhile. So it's a great way to see a topic evolve from something that's small into something bigger. Um, and code Codemash, we've been doing open spaces really before they were called that, because at the Kalahari, the resort, it's not like your normal, sterile hospital-type convention center. It's it's an African-themed resort, so there are these big, giant leather couches everywhere and nooks and crannies. In the first year, we saw people just busting out laptops, working on Python code and pair programming in the hallway, and those would start conversations. And so, obviously, open space is, is a is a a rule-structured implementation of, of this formal activity uh, but it was great to, that's what we want to see we want to see a java guy and a ruby guy sit down and jam on and learn this stuff you know I, I had the sense that this particular show was almost entirely
3: a net show i know we talked a little ruby and so forth but uh, code mash is a, a, a heavy
7: mix of different technologies yeah code mash is in, intended to bring all the all the big platforms together and we encourage attendees to attend sessions that aren't their main skill so what we want a net guy to go to a Python talk Learn how you solve problems in Python And bring that new perspective back To their everyday language maybe, maybe they'll get hooked on Ruby or Python Or Java or whatever and really expand out And part of that's just opening your mind To new ways of solving problems So you're not always using the same hammer uh, and, and part of that is you know um, you 've got to learn a new language every year to keep fresh and to keep your mind moving forward you know. and we 've had that mantra on DNR for a while. keep learning languages it 's fun yeah you 've got you've to always learn and you have to unlearn quicker, I think you have to dig, uh, ditch all the old baggage um, and move on to the new paradigms and adopt those quickly. Brian, thanks very much for your insights
3: i 'm going to move all over to uh, oh Mr. Jim Woolley. how are you, sir? Good to see you again,
8: it's been a while Uh, Well, I always seem to bump into you at shows like this, actually Yeah, the last time I was on this show, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning Goodness, where was that? Uh, that was on your uh, uh, 2005 launch uh, session when you came around through all the states in the van and you stopped off in Atlanta and we had all four of the .NET Rocks uh, hosts on and brought me on about 2.30 2 in the morning. It was uh, a little raggedy in that particular Oh, I remember, song. yes. I think we were most of the way through a bottle of Woodford at that point. Hey, it's the it's Brian's life. birthday.
3: <laughs> so they, uh, the cake for Brian just arrived for his birthday. Happy birthday, Bob.
7: Thanks. I spoke on my birthday. I turned 36 today. Uh, congratulations.
3: Oh, my goodness. 2005. I did this three years ago. Yeah. Uh, or almost three years ago. So the uh, I like the Code Camp model better. I get
8: to go home more often. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoyed the model that they had here, particularly with the open spaces, concepts. It really energizes and uh, gets a lot of communication going between people typical conferences, you have somebody standing up in front of this uh, location talking to people, and people may be paying attention, but when you're doing an open spaces type of environment, there's a lot more active listening and active involvement of all the participation uh, that's involved in there. Now, I mean, the open spaces area was not that big. There's over 400 people at this
3: show. It seemed to me that there was only a small section of them that really launched onto the open spaces area.
8: That's true. In in part, some people don't know necessarily what to expect from that. seen what the schedule of events are up front in terms of what's been scheduled with the outside speakers and things like that. Uh, and they've seen that for a couple months now. But when they do the open spaces, they may have seen it for a day or two days and uh, not necessarily know what else involved and what's you know, happening with it. But really part of the excitement is uh, the people that get involved in doing the open spaces are not necessarily the people that would want to sit in the standard kind of lecture environment. They get more out of it. There are a lot of people that come for perfectly good reason of going to go into a conference, and they may not have feel like they have a lot to contribute in that kind of environment, and in that case, the lecture type of environment is perfectly fine. So it's great that you can combine the two of those and have the option for the different people and the different ways that they are able to contribute, learn, understand, and grow. I did have a sense that there were a few folks
3: that just spent the entire conference in the open spaces area grabbing different topics and running with them for a while, and other folks seemed to come and go a fair bit. But I, it also appeared to me that a, there was a significant chunk of the conference that never got down there.
8: I would agree very, very fully. All right. and...
9: and Lori? Can I get a
3: gin and tonic when you get a sec, please? Gin and tonic <laughs> get Lori on the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, Lori, can I get a gin and tonic when you get a sec? Of
9: course,
10: sir. <laughs> yeah, look, you to me blush. It's not even touching <laughs> Who else would like a round on this? Wait a minute, Laurie,
2: How much money has this table spent tonight on booze?
10: At least
7: three fifty. <laughs> and,
10: and
3: I got to admit, the drinks here not expensive. <laughs> it's a deal.
7: I don't.
10: I'm a college student. They're outrageous to me, man. <laughs>
8: That's just me talking. About. Jim, were you speaking at the show as well? Yeah, I did two talks, both of them on Link. I've been focusing on Link for the last uh, two years at this point and trying to support the book that we have out. And it's been a really uh, fun ride for working with Link. And sort of being able to be speaking in a lot of different areas gave me a perspective on how this area has its particular community. I've done a lot of speaking throughout all of the Southeast at this point. And it's interesting how each of the different areas have a different community. But the power that came out of this particular conference was the reach in which they were able to bring people from those different locations. As you said, we had people from Michigan, Arkansas, Georgia, you know, all over. There was uh, Pennsylvania, and it's really impressive the uh, talent and such that are coming not only to speak but also just to listen. There are people who come from Texas just to listen. And this is actually the second conference in two weeks in Tennessee that I've been to. Huh. And both of them were able to have this big draw from all. Also, also the outside region, which is very powerful. And I'm sure a lot of the social networking, Web 2.0 types of things that they're utilizing to promote these events definitely has a benefit. So the Twitters, the websites, and uh, all those kinds of things are really important.
7: And, and uh, you were always against Twitter, and you finally caved in, <laughs> right? Yes. And what's your tag? What's your tag? Uh, my tag
8: is uh, LinkKink. <laughs> so L-A-N-Q-K-I-N-Q sort of a play on the kink of Link. I think it's sexy. I don't know about anybody else. but <laughs> So, uh,
3: how's the adoption of Link from here? I mean, you've been talking about Link for a while now. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a change in the audience? Are people using it more, asking more complex questions?
8: Yeah, to a certain extent, uh, when I first started talking about Link over two years ago, maybe one person in the whole audience would have known anything about it. Now when I ask, okay, how many people have seen a presentation on Link? Everybody in the room raises their hand. Now, how many are actually using it? That maybe is slightly smaller percentage, but uh, you know, part of my goal is to try to show people how they're able to use Link, not necessarily to replace their full data access tier or things like that, but how they can improve, improve their applications in many ways that they may not have thought of before. So I am seeing more and more people that are using it, and the community is definitely growing around it. It does seem like it's still got a ways
3: to go. I think 3.5 adoption is taking us time, and people are are waiting to see how they're going to actually utilize this. What's the part of Link that uh, that interests you most, are you seeing being engagement on.
8: Well, a lot of people are still thinking that Link's about working with databases, and that's right. not what interests me the most. What interests me the most is when you're working with objects, XML, heterogeneous data, so you have this abstraction layer over data, and you're not necessarily having to learn different APIs for all these different constructs. So that's really the powerful part of it. I, I'm with you, I think the link
3: to SQL is the least important part. I'm much more interested in linked to XML just because the normal ways of querying XML are painful.
8: Yeah, I mean, working with XML before was more of a um, necessary evil and now it's more a labor of love Uh, I've done all sorts of things just small apps one-offs that take me an hour or two hours to create and give great business benefits in just that hour of work working with XML and it's uh, very powerful I was able to replace most of click once deploy uh, with link to XML in an hour and a half that's
3: That's pretty powerful that's impressive actually what about heterogeneous joining are you actually doing that
8: in applications that you're building? Sure, I'm uh, joining. I have a join between a web service XML structure with an in memory object structure, then pushing that into a database, you know, all the things push, pushing it together. And to be very careful how you do that, because sometimes you'll be pulling m- more things than what you want, but it does have great, tremendous power. Awesome. Jim, thanks uh, for talking to us. Very cool stuff you're working on. Always a pleasure, anytime.
5: So
2: Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at Datadynamics.com. I'm sitting here with Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing?
10: Introduce yourself. I'm sorry. Introduce yourself to the audience. I'm Chris Rober from Atlanta, Georgia. So, Innovative Developer, Innovative developer doing consulting. In Atlanta So were you speaking here? No I was not So what did you think? I thought it was a great conference I'm amazed at how well uh, People uh, can get a community together And uh, you know Get all these people from all over As far as Michigan And Ohio And Georgia Alabama Tennessee Amazing
2: What was your favorite uh, talk If you will? Um,
10: I like the open spaces Being able to communicate You know It's where it's an open conversation People talking uh, you know, not just kind of being fed information, but being able to, to open that conversation and talk about things that are, uh, you know, people or other people are experiencing.
2: Was uh, was there one conversation in open spaces that stuck out as being uh, the most uh, poignant to you? Um, you know, uh, hey, 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 we're trying to do a show here.
5: Well, you know. <laughs> Maybe you're talking to the wrong guys.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm sorry. Carry on. So, was there any one of your... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't go on. <laughs> was, uh, was there... Tell me about it. Was there any one uh, talk that was more poignant for you than the others? Um, you know... Uh,
10: I don't think anything in particular struck out my mind as far as the most important conversation. You know, it's kind of tough to uh, pick one out, but it was just kind of great to see what other uh, people are doing and uh, how they're uh, attacking problems. I mean, it just was really uh, interesting.
2: It's great to sit in on a conversation, isn't yeah. it, rather than being lectured to. Yeah, exactly.
10: I mean, it's, uh, you know, that kind of whole interactive thing where you're not just uh, being fed information. Well, we have a message here. Joe? Oh,
5: Yes, sir?
4: Uh, what is that? Oh, so, well, Canada missive.
5: So, it's been a long time since a lady handed me a note. <laughs> so, I, I read this with, with great, I didn't say, sir, you're making a scene. <laughs> well, it, yeah. or, uh, I'm a representative of the following law enforcement agency. Um, so, so I, so I got momentarily excited about this one, but, uh, but it, but it turns out it, um, well it's certainly exciting but not relative to me personally. It says please plug codecampjunkie.com. The source for community-driven events.
3: I bet you was
5: like, Code, CodecampJunkie.com. Um,
2: we'll talk later about how much that little ad spot cost you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, how many shots of bourbon do you need? <laughs> uh, I think I've had my fill, as it is. So. He, he clearly
5: doesn't need any more shots of bourbon.
2: <laughs> you won't pay me in bourbon, trust me. <laughs> Uh, Chris, anything else before we pass the microphone along?
10: Um, no, just a, just a great experience coming here and like uh, the the price. I mean, unbelievable for the amount of uh, you know information and uh, the the quality of the experience uh, speakers here. Just absolutely amazing that you paid you, you know fifty dollars to come here and and see this information. It's amazing. And then you get
2: karaoke on top of that.
10: <laughs> yeah, and there's karaoke and bad company and you know what what else? Market? Yeah, I, I was asking you to switch sheets with Brian. You
3: were okay. That's yeah, fine. You sit down over there. I'll switch sheets with
2: Brian here, and I'll carry. Brian. All right, Richard's going to uh, talk to some people down on the other end of the table.
3: Thank you, sir.
0: Oh.
3: Randy. I'm going to save you to the end. So be patient.
4: Mm-hmm. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Your name, your role, and why you're still here. Yeah, besides the beer, um, I am Jim Holmes. I am a, uh, what am I? I am a practice lead at Quick Solutions where both Brian and Jeff used to work. Oh. Um, I am one of the organizers of CodeMash, which is another conference in the region. Uh, and been an active member of the Heartland community for quite a while and had not managed to get down here for DevLink before this. Did did you present? I did not. I hung out. I did not go to a single session. I hung out at open spaces the entire time. So you are one, and I was just
3: describing there, I saw there's certain faces and I think it was one of yours was yours that open spaces is why you were
4: here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I love formal conferences, and I love formal sessions, and I get a lot out of them, but at this point in my career, I get more out of the networking, and I get more out of the interaction, which is all what that stuff was about.
3: That's awesome, and, and just interesting to see where certain people grabbed onto it. Hey, Lori, that's my drink. Are, Thank you, Derry.
7: Thank you, Lori. Was
3: that yours? <laughs> no, I think it was yours, but I'll happily use it. So uh, any major topics at the open spaces
4: that really jumped out to you? Uh, yeah, a whole bunch. So the whole, I heard you talking about the should discussion earlier, and that was really amazing because it is a fundamental change. And it's a small change, but it is fundamental in how you approach what I want to do with my code and how I want to test it. And that that's a great step. And it was just a wonderful conversation. There was also a hysterical example of how cool open spaces are. We had one session on the board that was... Was distributed source control. And so there are about five or six guys around talking about Git and some of the various odds and ends. Well, there's a young fellow up in um, Michigan, Jay Wren, who couldn't make it down to the conference. So they're talking about a distributed technology. This guy isn't here. They called him up on the phone and they had a speaker phone laying in a table with five guys around it talking to the brain guy in the region. And so This is why I dig open spaces so much.
3: So a a distributed conversation about distributed source control.
4: Yeah. So is that not cool? (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, um, there were a whole bunch of other things that I got great uh, value out of. We've done open spaces at Code Mash as well. Alan really knocked it out of the park with the, kind of the care and feeding that he did here, and uh, he's actually going to come up to Code Mash next year and help us out with that. So we're really pumped about that as well because. It's a little odd running open spaces side-by-side with a formal conference, but it gives you so many glorious options. We took the schedule board, which had kind of been back in the open spaces room, and we moved it out to the main hallway. And so people are kind of going by, what is this crazy board with all these weird-ass stickers all over? And, And it just opened up all these conversations, and all of a sudden people who would not have ever gotten into an open space came back in and were part of the conversation, We had one guy yesterday who said open spaces saved him from going home because the conference, for whatever reason, wasn't meeting his need in the formal sessions. He got to open spaces and he's like, oh. It sounds like there are certain personalities that
3: are better served by Open Spaces and others that are served by t- typical standard conferences.
4: We all learn differently, right? So, you know, you guys have had conversations on your show about, do I learn well via books or media? Is print media dead? Yada, yada. It's give everybody a lot of options and let them choose, right? Right. And, and the flexibility is the really cool thing. Plus... That conversation is huge. Now, I'm kind of at a point in my career where I need to know the next step right? And I don't get that from being lectured to necessarily. What I get that from is talking with the many people at this conference who are smarter than me and who have had, had their butts kicked in different ways, right? So I don't get that in a session. And It was interesting to see Alan just sort
3: of flit around. It seemed like he was what exactly do you think he was doing that he sort of just stepped in every so often and touched these different groups?
4: Well, so there's this interesting concept of butterflies and bumblebees in the Open space domain, and I'll screw up the definition, but a butterfly like goes one place, gets a little bit. Goes to another place, gets a little bit more. Goes to another place, gets a little bit more. And you can do that very easily in the open spaces. I get a little bit of content here, and I have something to share. So I can go over to this other session and get something else and maybe contribute there. I don't have to sit in an for an hour and 15 minutes in one place. Right. Cool. Jim, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you.
3: Mr. Walker... From deep northwest Arkansas
9: And you drove Yes, a whole nine hours all the way to come down here. And it was well worth it, let me tell you.
3: Now, you weren't alone either. You had a little contingent with you?
9: Yes, uh, I had two guys from our Fort Smith user group. Um, I'm actually from the Northwest Arkansas user group. And uh, they drove eight hours, and I drove an hour to meet them, and we drove all the way over.
3: Man, oh, man, that's a long way to come. No, not just
9: fly in. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I really enjoyed it because it got me a chance to really get to know a couple of guys that I don't get to interact with a whole lot and of course you know the fact that you can uh, tether and uh, get to the internet on that long drive it, it made it, it was it was very quick actually
3: so it wasn't too bad So, and you run a user group up in your neck of the woods as well
9: well actually um, I kind of turned that over uh, Jay Smith uh, he's actually runs that as well as um, Zach and uh, so they run that user group I'm actually transition to an INETA regional role and so now I am responsible for Arkansas, um, Missouri, and Kansas. So I help new user groups get started, and that's my role with INETA. and if any of you guys are interested in starting user groups, you all have regional representatives from INETA, and it's their job to help you get started creating your user group.
3: That's awesome. So what did you do for DevLink? Were you an attendee, were
9: you a speaker? Well, I um, I, I did help out with the conference, uh, I spent a lot of time helping giving directions and things like that. But I did also have one session that I gave, um, and I'm actually uh, I try not to focus on technical stuff. I actually really enjoy doing um, the business related things, and so. Uh, I did a session on starting and running your own software business. And so I go through this huge long spiel of how to get uh, set up, the uh, successes and most importantly the failures that I've experienced starting my business.
3: So any particular highlights that you brought up in your session?
9: Uh, Well, you know, for the first time most recently, I had a customer um, uh, not not pay me after they ordered my software. And so uh, I got to share that story, and it was really interesting. You can... You know, you can tell it's a great session when the, everybody's getting out their notepads and writing stuff down furiously as you, before you get to the next slide. And so it, it, it was—it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Did you pack the house? Was it a full room? Well, no, because I actually had the main hall, so uh, you know that seats I guess uh, around 500. So I didn't quite fill it, but I did have uh, probably around 60 people, and it. Uh, uh, very interactive. Uh, everybody uh, contributed. Uh, one of the best sessions I've had so far.
3: That's a lot of fun. Did you carry any of that over to the open spaces area as well?
9: Uh, yes, a little bit. Um, I participated uh, in a couple. And uh, open spaces is a really unique concept. Uh, I know it's taking off real well. Um, uh, uh, Alan did a really terrific job coordinating it all. It's it's. Um, I'm really curious to see how many of these little open spaces. Uh, uh, There's a lot of open spaces conferences just for open spaces starting up, and uh, it's kind of neat to see all of these conferences start up.
3: I I do like the hybrid model where you can pick and choose. I'm wondering if we can't get to a point where speakers doing sessions then move over to the open space area to carry on, continue conversations where necessary.
9: Absolutely. I wish I had had time before um, uh, before my actual session um, because, you know, since I do focus on that business area, I would have actually liked to help create some of those open sessions because, I mean, that's really where people can really interact a lot better and I'm not sitting there trying to present a bunch of content and they can actually contribute a whole lot more than I can.
3: And one of the things that I've always struggled with is a good way to manage the great conversations you have immediately following your session, where you have that little ring around you of folks who really want to talk to you more about what you just discussed, but you've also got that pressure getting out of the room so the next speaker can come in. And I I hate losing that. I just wonder if there's a way we could turn to the open spaces model to carry on that connection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
9: You know, I had like uh, ten different people hit me up after the session. And, of course, all you can really do is answer a couple people, and then just hand out business cards for email, and hopefully they'll contact you through your blog or something like that. And the open spaces is beautiful, because if you can start out with a session and then carry that over to open spaces, I mean, that's the best of both worlds, and you get so much community involvement in it, and you get everybody helping each other out, and it's fantastic.
3: Shift it over to those concentrated few that are really focused on the topic.
8: Mr. had some input? Yeah, I just wanted to contribute. One of the things that they did at this conference, which was kind of interesting, was they didn't have a speaker room. So very often when you go to conferences, all the speakers are sort of huddled off in this separate room and never associate with anybody else. So what they did instead was they sort of said, speakers, we really want you to go out into these open sessions and open spaces and actually contribute there. So that's really an additional way of trying to get them to contri- continue those conversations by having the speakers mingled with their everybody else, which is a great way for us to all contribute together. You know, there actually was a
3: speaker room, but, you know, Alan was quite adamant that it was a prep room. Do you need to prepare in quiet? That's where you do that. If you want to hang out, come down to the open spaces area. And I think every time I checked the speaker room, it was largely empty. One or two people getting ready, everybody else was hanging in the open spaces area.
9: Yeah, uh, the speaker room, I think uh, the only people I ever saw in there was uh, the recording of uh, deep fried bites. So... uh, it was definitely a very quiet room, and and definitely was able to uh, help prep some of uh, my presentation. That's for sure. So,
3: hey Randy, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show, talking to us about the the show. Thanks. It's always, a,
9: thanks, it's always a thanks. It's always a pleasure,
3: Mr. Franklin. I'm going to pass the microphone back to you. Thank you, Richard. We're
2: having a good old time over here talking about software quality and talking about uh, Reverend Billy, talking about Reverend Billy Hollis and how much we admire him looking at these uh, new silver light chips i another round is coming so i think we're going to sign off who were we admiring uh, we were we were talking about reverend billy
5: oh a, a, true, a true icon
2: yes a true icon Ahead of his time and all that. I think we're gonna sign off because you know another round is coming, the karaoke is heating up and, uh, Thompson uh,
10: and twins, man. We've got Thompson twins got Thompson got
2: and twins, and Tiffany comes on karaoke, <laughs> it's time to turn off the microphone.
5: You mean because because you're anxious to turn off your your geek microphone and and launch yourself into the impressive musician's karaoke that's experience that's about to happen?
2: No, there are two things that's right, it's not Thompson twins, it's Pat shot Boy. Yeah, Western town, whatever. And are happy All right, touche, touche. You're a better man than I, it in. So, uh, Richard. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, there are two things I don't do: dance fast. I'll slow dance with the right lady, w- w- which, but dance fast,
5: your, no, and karaoke, means, which in your case means hug and stand still.
2: Touche, <laughs> touche. Very good. All right, guys, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Live from DevLink, Carl and Richard here at Fanatics Lounge for signing off. .Net Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services. at www.dotnetrocks.com. the hard.